Welcome to For the Love of First Responders, where partners of first responders get real about mental health of the entire family and finding support within the culture, as well as navigating the complexity of what they are experiencing at home. Welcome, Ben. I'm Tanji, and I'm looking forward to um, another episode of For the Love of First Responders. Really excited to be recording a new one. And today we're going to be um, focusing on residential treatment and the different levels of care that our clients receive. Um, I've known Ben for a long time. He's the clinical director here at Chateau. I do a lot of trauma work and teach mindfulness and meditation here. And just want Ben to introduce himself. We work on kind of different, the same um, level, but sometimes different aspects. And I know there's things he's doing that that I could learn more about. And just, yeah, so just tell us what, tell us more about what you do, sure. what you see, and how it's relevant to what we're talking about today. Great. Thanks Thank for you. having me. Yeah. No, I'm excited to be here. Um, yeah, the topic of families and helping loved ones uh, in this process is crucial. So I'm excited what we get to cover today. Um, I'm a mental health therapist. I'm a licensed clinical social worker. I've been doing this work for about 20 years, 10 years in residential treatment at the Chateau. Um, within that time, uh, yeah, my role is to help develop the curriculum that the clients use while they're here. I supervise uh, the, the program department and the clinical staff, and then uh, I put together the, the family portion of the program. And uh, more recently, we've been on the road talking about how we can increase uh, mental health, resilience, and a few other things out in different departments around the country. Uh, and obviously that, that trickles down to what kind of support that family members get in this process. Great. Great. So. Thank you. Yeah. And you know, one of the things I'm passionate about and the reason why I started this podcast is because I'm really passionate about clients as they return home, um, having the most success. And a lot of that has to do with family and or the lack of family and so what are you seeing is is part of that family support that's been helpful and how has that evolved over the years and um you know how have you addressed that for clients to have the most resiliency when they get home right now it's, it's been an interesting process families have always been a crucial part of of growth um they have a huge impact on whether clients decide to keep on using the skills mm. that they acquire uh, when they're away from home. Um, but unfortunately, there's, there's not historically been a lot of support for families. Mm -hmm. There is kind of culturally this, this opinion, which is go off to this place, in this case, Utah, magically get changed, and uh, they're going to wave a magic wand. And while you're there, then you should come home and all of the behaviors that upset us or that in, uh, impacted us, those will all go away. And then we're all going to go back mm -hmm. to being kind of a happy unit and things are going to just uh, transform that way. So um, families haven't been given a ton of education or awareness, and uh, I'm excited that we're offering more, but there's so much uh, ground we need to cover because culturally um, families just don't, don't have a lot of support in general. So as, as this has kind of evolved for us, um, there's, a, there's a few different areas that we've had to kind of focus on. Um, I think the, the, the challenge is that um, we work in a crisis intervention part of the mental health world. Yeah, definitely. And so we don't meet people who are doing great 
or that have time yeah. and energy to spare. Um, we meet families and individuals who are in crisis, which typically means that they've been in crisis for a while. Mm-hmm. So by the time we Good meet point. people, yeah. the individuals we work with here in, in the residential facility, as well as the families, everyone's been kind of coasting on fumes for a mm-hmm. while. So they're exhausted, depleted, trust, fear. Um, yeah, they're just in survival mode. And so... And what we, are their biggest fears? Like, that's what I'm curious about. What do you see over and over, you know, because I know there's... Like you're naming that it's pretty common or you see right. the same things over and over. And what, what are their biggest fears when, when they're seeking that level of care for their loved one and they know they can't help them anymore? Right. That's a great point. No, I, I think it's an interesting process that um, both the client and the family are going through a parallel experience. Mm-hmm. Both of them have a lot of fear about the future. They're, they're terrified of being abandoned. Mm-hmm. They're... Um, distrusting in some way mm-hmm. there's there's probably been some form of dishonesty or codependence or some other things the balance of the relationship has usually been off for some time mm-hmm. and so when when people consider getting help at a different level um most of them are pretty reluctant i'd say there's a fair amount of uh, distrust towards the mental health process mm-hmm. that, that ends up being a factor and so when when they finally ask for help um, families on, on their end, what I hear about is them saying, you know, I'm really worried that my loved one's going to get help and they may not be as attracted to the family or us. Mm. Maybe we don't grow as fast as they do. Um, I think a lot of times families report that they are, um, they have a lot of anger. They mm-hmm. have a lot of fear. They have a lot of frustration and that they're not sure if they have what it takes to keep on doing this mm-hmm. process mm-hmm. because they've been working their asses off for a long, long time to try and keep the wheels on. And now that they're getting help, they're learning, wow, there's even more work ahead. Mm-hmm. And so that's a pretty intimidating piece that, that so, families talk about. So I'm hearing like families feel like they're almost like have to offload, <laughs> you know, there is yeah. just too much. And then they, they don't know what that's going to look like to integrate back yeah. and, and how they heal because everyone's feeling kind of broken or frustrated right. or fearful and like they and and like a lack of trust right well i I think there's an extra piece of it where there is some i don't know if it's always resentment but there there is some hurt when it's um you know here's my loved one uh they're a first responder it makes sense why they're hurting their Mm -hmm. exposure to trauma and stress is incredibly high you know, many multiples more than the average person. Mm-hmm. And it's great. And they are, uh, they, they're excited for the loved one to get support. But there is this element of frustration that only the loved one's going to be getting support. And mm-hmm. so I don't know if it's jealousy as much as just feeling kind of left out that, yeah. that this, this loved one is going to go to this program. And we'll talk more about residential care. But the reality is they're going to get just a ton of support time and energy and families are Mm. often left at home Mm. still pretty um kind of overwhelmed on top of now assuming the the responsibilities of the other partner who Mm -hmm. has left the home and so they're now tired discouraged and now they're doing double duty they have to act Mm -hmm. as both parents they're doing all the chores Mm -hmm. financially there's a different level of stress there and so um i've heard a lot of families that are kind of sheepish in admitting that I'm, I'm, you know, 
this mm-hmm. kind of sucks. I'm happy they're getting yeah. the help, but I feel like I'm getting screwed all right. over again. And so like as they offload that that loved one and feel kind of a sense of relief, but there's this resentment or frustration. Mm -hmm. And some of that, I know, you know, from our work together that some of it's offloaded on you or directed to you or to Mm -hmm. Chateau. And what do you wish that loved ones knew? Like what, how do you alleviate that and kind of help them transition and, and know that, you know, everything's going to be okay if they trust the process kind of a thing. I, I think the biggest thing I'd want them to know is it makes sense that we don't take it personally. Mm. It makes sense that they're tired yeah, and discouraged that. and frustrated. Mm-hmm. And I think there's a lot of families that I meet that don't feel like they've got permission to be angry. Mm-hmm. And that if they say, mm. <laughs> if they complain about whatever, right? Mm-hmm. That we don't call them back fast enough or there's some other kind of thing that's going on or they might nitpick different things. That's, um, that, that is, to be honest, that's, that's a little bit of their own trauma kind of showing up. Mm-hmm. And so not everyone knows how to raise their hand and say, I'm experiencing stress. Can you give me a hand? Like none of us are really trained very well mm-hmm. in our families growing up how to do that. Exactly. And so when they, so they, they get in, there is this huge sense of relief, but there's also a lot of just now what? Mm-hmm. And, and um, when, they, when they have fear or doubt or anger or any of those things, I just want them to understand like it makes sense. Keep mm-hmm. talking. Keep talking mm-hmm. to us. Talk to whoever you need to, but you're not weird in, yeah. in wanting more. Right. Because that's, right, right. that's an incredibly appropriate thing to be asking for. But oftentimes they just don't know what avenues they can take. And is it like, I mean, when I say trust the process, is that kind of the message? And what is the process and how do they, you know what I mean? Like, how do you help them trust that, that even, you know, even their own anger or, mm. you know, that their loved one's going to be okay or that. Yeah, that's a great question. How to build trust, especially if your loved one is going across the country to a group right. of people that you don't know. Yeah. Terrifying. <laughs> and, uh, you don't know if you trust your loved one as much mm. as you used to anyway. Yeah. So, so it's a, it's a big ask to, to just jump in and just mm-hmm. try this. Um, I think, to be honest, is probably follow your gut a little bit mm-hmm. and just keep on asking questions. I think there's times when we're in kind of this, we're all, we're all a little rattled and, and depleted and in survival mode. We, we, we end up probably getting closer to some defensiveness and some accusations and some reactivity mm-hmm. because we're just tired and we're in defense mode. So I, I think if it's possible... Try and try and stay in the education mode a little bit longer mm-hmm. and just mm-hmm. say, how does this work? And who is going to help me? And where do yeah, I get some support? So, yeah, that's such a great point because the clients that get here are definitely in survival mode, literally. Oh, yeah. Their brain is just in that survival, fight or flight or freeze. Right. And there's no window, barely any regulation. Mm-hmm. And what you're seeing is that like family members are also you know what I mean, in that survival mode, and you want them to kind of trust the process and and maybe switch sort of into that um, asking questions are okay, trusting that your anger makes sense mm-hmm. is okay, and and any, any like, advice on that as they do that, or? Um, for, for sure, asking questions, um, there's, there's a big need for, you know, this kind of conversation mm-hmm. as well as resources. Yeah. Um, so I, professionals don't know how hard it is for you. They don't, they don't know what you need. 
And I, I think that's often the misunderstanding that the mental health professionals, because they have some kind of a letter behind their name, that they are magically going to understand how to come to you and figure out what you need right. just, just intuitively. Mm-hmm. So I, I would say speaking up, um, again, tons of time, especially in the first responder community, there's a lot of insecurity around asking for help, period. Mm. That's such a good point. Because you need to be heroes yeah. and you got to be tough and you, that, that culture of values. And even those the loved things. ones are not used to them asking right. for help, right. you know? And so it, that, that breakdown is kind of slow and gradual. And then all of a sudden they're, they're in crisis and right. they haven't asked for or, or named that they're suffering. And I think the loved ones t- get taken by surprise oh, yeah. with that. When you, when you spend 10, 15 years of don't yeah. worry, things are fine. Yeah. <laughs> <too>. <laughs> okay. They've not been fine for a while. It, it, it ends up being a little embarrassing and people aren't sure how to navigate I know. that. Yeah. So they don't, they don't need to be embarrassed some shame over. Absolutely. I mean, there's a lot of shame because they're, they're meant to be the strong ones, you right. know, in right. their job. And, and they see that as being the strong ones at home too. Right. And so that's, that's super challenging. Well, and, and the tough part of that is that when loved ones come into treatment, they've been in survival mode for a while. They're not, they haven't been great in the empathy department. Yeah. That's, that's one of the first things that because happens you, when we're overwhelmed. That's impossible yeah. when you're in survival yeah. you mode. Just can't and see so them. a lot of times, I mean, that's the biggest angst for them is that they're they haven't been there for their kids or their mm. spouse, you know, right. and, and they have a lot of shame in around that. Right. You mentioned resources, you know, finding their own resources as as far as loved ones. What are you seeing is has been helpful for family members like that? when they have done their own work at home or sought out their own counseling? Because I know, you know, when clients come here, no matter what we do, we're advocating for that client and we're on their side and we can't be the advocate for the loved one as much, you know? And mm-hmm. so they're, what do you see for them to find like a balance between the loved one getting so much support and help and how do they get, what do you see that um, family members and loved ones have done that is helpful for their own cool. support and resources? Yeah, that's a great point. Um, the the even in the last five years since we've spent more time with the, the first responder population, it is way more common to hear that someone has actually seen a therapist, or that their loved one has found a therapist. It's more common. It's more common mm-hmm. since since two thousand twenty, the um, you know COVID and the world changing as much as it has. Uh, it's been a lot harder mm-hmm. to find a mental health therapist, and so the delay has been there. And that's that's definitely a stress. But um, I think as far as resources go, what I've heard is there are there are more books available for families to learn about what trauma mm-hmm. is. Right. I I think one of the biggest misunderstandings about trauma is that families, especially kids, I mean partners as well. Is it they, they think that it's something that they personally, it's a, it's a, that they themselves have failed their loved one. When the reality is when, when you start to learn more about trauma, it's, it's not nearly as personal as you thought it was. Mm. There's a, there's a, there's a, there's a yeah, curve. There's a, there's a curve in learning about that. The kind guilt of stuff. trips and yeah. the blaming yourself yeah. and what could I have done or different yeah. or. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, I think there's, there's more books available and uh, I think that's great. I think there are now Ted talks there are more videos online, yeah. YouTube, you know, university has grown quite a bit and there's some healthy stuff out there. And so we, we try and connect families with, uh, our, our, our curriculum that says, Hey, there's, there's some different things that we do within the program. We'd like to teach you about, but there's a lot of other topics out there about, um, 
just learning about what trauma is. As far as other resources, uh, again, there is a form of group therapy that is available. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, it's still pretty rare. Um, in the world of substance abuse, group support has been around for about 70 years. And there is a place where people to go and say, hey, I'm struggling. And families have had something called Al-Anon, which you can look up online mm -hmm. and find a local okay. uh, support meeting. Al-Anon is great because it's designed for family members that have someone struggling with substance abuse. Mm -hmm. And in that community, you can find mentors. You can go and just offer your story, talk about your concerns. And they've, they've got a lot of experience and support that's ready right. to kind of comment or kind of connect with you a little bit. Fabulous. When it comes because that's what clients are getting here. Like, yeah. A lot of their healing is, um, you know, making social connections and, mm -hmm. and going, you know, doing work, emotional work um, with fellow clients and things like that. And so I think that, that them reaching out and getting some group support is also really value would be valuable and huge. I, I think that group validation does does wonders for people because there's a sense of belonging. A lot of folks that have stayed alone at home feel very isolated. They feel very stuck. Mm -hmm. They don't have any community. Makes there's a lot sense. of shame yeah. and stigma about actually getting for help. So That's such a good point. So finding yeah. that you're not crazy and that you're not alone <laughs> and that yeah. other folks have have gone through this and have survived. Marriages right. have survived. It's just a it's just a a breath of fresh air for a lot of folks who just didn't know it, but not knowing that there's a community out there is, um, is a tough one to, to kind of figure out because it yeah. requires some risk. So I, I think, um, in the mental health side of the world, there's, um, there's different offices that are starting to offer more group support. Um, but it just depends on the community. There, yeah. there is now a growing amount of, um, mental health online providers that do have Zoom and other forms of group support. Yeah. So that's still pretty new, but that is growing. I think that helps. Um, so uh, there, there are some ways to get out of the house and to connect with people and learn that, hey, you're not, not alone. Um, but again, it's still a pretty short list. There's not mm -hmm. a ton of things for families to do. Um, but the internet has brought tons of new resources to bear. Yeah, I think that helps quite sense. a bit. Okay, good. As far as like when the client is here, what is their role as far as like, um, you know, phone calls, like with mm. loved ones and they're talking, I know we have reality letters and, right. you know, and also like their, you know, sessions, family sessions. What are some things like, what is their role or other things that you know of that's helpful while their client is here as far as yeah. contact and or not contact or Right. Well, let me, let me talk about it from two different angles. One's more philosophical and then one's the practical day-to-day -day yeah, stuff. Yeah, that'd be great. I, I think there's a dynamic that happens. And again, this is just some of the cultural miseducation, I call it. And the, the common cultural approach is, this has been on for a long time, and so it's usually two or three generations deep in family systems. Yeah. And the, the message is, as soon as my loved one gets healthy, then I can be happy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And and codependency. Yeah, there's a there's a codependent message there that I can't be okay unless you're okay. Yeah. And so a lot of families um, would not identify it because they didn't start that way. It's never mm -hmm. intentional. It is something they kind of find themselves in, wow, I, I make a lot of excuses. I've been covering up different behavior. I've been justifying things for them. But they, they the, the balance has been off for a while. But yeah. at the core of that, there is the idea of, 
we just need to fix this behavior or fix this mm-hmm. thinking and then we'll be okay. Right. And so when a loved one finally has the wheels fall off and they really need a higher level of care, uh, oftentimes we hear families saying, so when is he going to be better? Mm-hmm. And they don't, they don't mean it in an objectifying sort of way, but sometimes that is how our culture talks about mm-hmm. getting better. When is this behavior going to stop? When is their diagnosis going to be over? When are they going to stop drinking? When are they going to start doing these things? And as soon as, well, the way we help them do that is we supervise them and we manage mm-hmm. them mm-hmm. and we micromanage them into yeah. getting better. And so what often happens is families find themselves in this role of, I am now a case manager over my loved one. Mm. And when they get in that spot, the, the room for growth as a family becomes significantly limited mm-hmm. because now it's, we're not a partner. We're not a, we're not a relationship. I am just managing you and your right. behaviors. Yeah. And as Miserable. soon as you cooperate, quote <laughs> yeah. unquote, then we'll reward you with support and affection. So what are, what's an adjustment? Like what's a healthy adjustment for them while their loved one is here from you need to be fixed to... Right. Like what, what would be ideal? Right. Great, great question. I, I think it's, it's a, it's a harder ask because mm-hmm. <laughs> it's a tough transition. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think, I mean, think about how you would feel if you're in this situation. If someone says, you know, Tangie or Ben, as soon as you do this behavior on this day and this, whatever, and you no longer have any defense mechanisms and you're no longer grumpy mm-hmm. or irritated or use any tone, <laughs> yeah, do that. Yeah. I mean, most of us really bristle when it comes to being told what to do. Yeah. And we don't feel like being more vulnerable or more honest or more, <laughs> lots of things. Mm-hmm. We, we end up, if anything, kind of hesitate and get a little resistant to that mm-hmm. kind of direction. Mm-hmm. So that the alternative to that is, is shifting our mindset a little bit and recognizing that we're all kind of in the same boat. We're all pretty imperfect. We're all kind of quirky. Mm-hmm. We're all struggling and there's a dynamic that changes when the, the, the client or the loved one that's been sent away to treatment, as long as when they're not the target anymore, it's how do we all mm-hmm. look at ourselves a little bit? Yeah. How do we all recognize that we're all pretty depleted? We're all in survival mode. We've all got triggers. And guess what? We're all pretty traumatized mm-hmm. by the job and the experience and just whether it's alcoholism yeah. or whatever, we're all, we're all in rough shape. I love that. I when, mean, what I'm hearing is from going from focusing on they have to change, they have to be fixed, they have to stop drinking, they have to stop the, their angry behavior mm-hmm. or be more, you know, present at home to letting go while they're here and knowing like we all, you know, kind of like a settling of we're all on the same level and we all can change and heal together and grow, right. hopefully grow from here and just, but there's like a letting go, right? That's what I'm hearing. Yeah, great point. I, I think the letting go, uh, we all do it a little different. And we all yeah. have to kind of look in the mirror and say, what, I don't have as much control as I'd like to. Mm-hmm. And, and that's one of the lies that we mm. un- un- unfortunately arrive at in this process yeah. is that we think, and our, our culture does a pretty good job of teaching us, teaching us this, is that when I feel overwhelmed and I feel out of control, the best way I can get control is to control you. Mm-hmm. And that is going to soothe me. And so mm-hmm. we've, we've got some weird uh, myths in our culture and we think if I can have more control over you, my safety increases mm-hmm. or my competence increases. And, and that's right. how we back our way into more codependent behavior. Yeah. So, so, so really identifying codependency, maybe even finding groups on it, yep. knowing that 
it's okay to like let go, work on your own things yeah. and whatever that letting go is mm-hmm. and that it's more of a mutual process of growing and healing, you know, once they're here, kind of finding that, finding that foundation for your, your own knowledge, whether it be books or podcasts right. or, or, um, resort, you know, group therapy, things like that. That's awesome. I, I think it's a tough transition because there, there is, um, the reality is your loved one does have a significant issue. Mm-hmm. So it's not all equal, but we all share in the growth process. And mm-hmm. I, I think that's a, that's a different transition because just you work on yourself does not change your partner's you know, relationship yeah. with alcohol. It yeah. doesn't change how much trauma they've been through. But I, I think what's important is for us to, uh, as loved ones, put on the support person hat at times mm-hmm. and, 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 and learn and grow and be a student of what they're doing. But it's important for us to also put on the, the self-care hat and just like, cool, this is how my loved one behaves when they're in survival mode. What does my survival mode look like? Mm-hmm. What else is out of balance in my life? And at the Chateau, we, we spend a lot of time talking about how do you develop health in multiple areas of your life and not have it be just your relationship or your marriage or whatever. Mm-hmm. So when we start to expand our view into there's lots of things I can grow and do as a person to become healthy, mm-hmm. that does give us a lot of options, a lot of things we can do with our time and our focus. And like maybe there's a sense of cutting the ties, like letting them be responsible for their behavior and, or their drinking or whatever the things are that they, they know very well, they need to change by the time they leave here. And so like cutting those ties and saying, okay, I trust you to be responsible in that. And I've done my growth and healing and, and things like that. I, I love that. Thank you for saying it that way. So, so some of the pieces that we do to help families facilitate that is, is some of those practical things you mentioned earlier. So one of the, the things we do in this program, and I, I think this is effective regardless of anyone being in a residential program, is writing an honest letter. Yeah. So we, we see families that have had years and years of neglect in relationship, years of misunderstandings, years of mistrust, for sure. years of self-medication, and everyone's been in kind of survival mode for a while. And so when, when the dust settles and, and clients come to the program, families... Uh, to be honest, I've really not dedicated a ton of time to how am I doing? How do I feel? Mm-hmm. And so we asked them to work on a reality letter. And the reality letter is, is um, about your reality. Mm-hmm. What's it been like to be you? Mm-hmm. Um, and that, that, that means lots of things. Oftentimes families are a little sheepish about saying, well, the reality is, is I'm pretty hurt and I'm pretty angry and I'm pretty tired and I'm pretty discouraged all of these human things that I think are incredibly honest, they need to be said. Yeah. They, they need to be said because your loved one needs to understand yep. the, the reality of where you're at. And oftentimes family members forget that they, they haven't been very honest about how they've yeah. been doing. And they might need it for their own therapy to just say, Here, here's, here's and, what it's like. Yeah, when clients have been dysregulated for that long or using alcohol or, you know what I mean? They have no perspective and they don't see it from the outside. Plus, you know, even if the loved one is naming it, they kind of get tone deaf to it. Right. And so that reality letter when they're here and they're in a safe place and they, and that loved one can be super honest mm-hmm. about what they saw and see it from a whole different perspective and lens is, it's a huge shift. And a lot of times there's a big lull or like a low point for them, but then a lot of growth because they're like, okay, 
that's what they've been seeing and, right. and they see it from a new perspective. And that, that perspective is huge. I was, yeah. I was in a uh, session yesterday with a client and he said, I think my wife has a lot to say. And for the most part, I have an idea about it. But as we, as we talked a little bit more, he recognized that, well, my wife has brought it up, but in my mind on a scale of one to 10, I probably gave it a two or a three. Yeah. And now she's going to tell me, and even just being here for a few minutes, I recognize that some of the things she was telling me was closer to a seven or an eight. And they have or a to, to, yeah. to, they have to minimize to keep going. You know right. what I mean? Because even if they intuitively know it's a seven or an eight, mm-hmm. you know, that's, they can't function if, and so they're trying to function the best they right. can, hoping it gets better, but obviously they're on a downhill slope and by the time they get here. Yeah. yeah. Great point. It's, it's tough. There is a real strong temptation from family members to say, don't worry about me. I'm fine. Just work on you. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's tough. What families don't often recognize that when you say I'm fine, um, it is a pleasing behavior that a lot of us are accustomed to, right? We live in a culture that rewards. Yeah. Yeah. Don't worry about me. True. Even no, though that's so true, even fundamentally it is a lie. Mm-hmm. And we intuitively as people recognize when our loved ones are lying to us. We may not always have a voice <laughs> And sometimes for it. we like not believing what <laughs> yeah, they're saying. Yeah. We're like, thanks for not making an issue. I got no energy. Thanks for the lie. Mm-hmm. I appreciate it. And I'm going to go mm-hmm. and do whatever else now. So I, I think that's a tough one. So I do want to advocate for families and say, it is tough. It is work. Please be honest because as much as it even might be some pretty constructive feedback of like, hey, I don't like the way you treat the kids. I don't like the way our relationship yeah. is going. Here's, here's, you know, here's X, Y, and Z to work on. Um, it, I want families to understand that that is a very productive experience. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I've, I've seen a guy in, in groups before read a letter from his spouse and the spouse said, don't worry about me, I'm good. And the guy, the next guy in line read a similar letter that said the good, the bad, the ugly, and it was rough and it was really clear and it was really Mm. honest. And the guy number one said, wow, I think Mm. your spouse is in a way better spot and they're more likely to actually improve your relationship because mine doesn't trust me, doesn't trust my relationship, Mm -hmm. and they're not being honest about what's really going on. I see that too. I believe that. And it can be telling and sometimes saying more is is painful, but more helpful and saying less is kind of like a disconnect from caring how much they progress while they're here. And so, yeah, yeah. it's a, it's a, it's a nod to how much potential there is for growth. Yeah. And that's a, that's a tough one. So again, it's unfair. If I haven't been clear about that, it's unfair Mm -hmm. how much families go through and then have to go through again and keep on working. So it is a thankless process and that's such a so great point. As families get these assignments, they're just like, oh, I'm just barely scraping <laughs> by. Yeah. Why? Where am I going to find the extra hours mm-hmm. to work on this stuff? Mm-hmm. But it is an investment. Yeah. And I, I do think the investment pays off because uh, usually in those letters, boundaries are finally set. Feedback is finally given. And yeah. there is some relief that happens after we kind of put it out there. And, and to be honest, for this process, loved ones now know what they can do. In, in my experience, people that get reality letters from their family put together better plans when they're leaving because they know what their family's at. I believe at. that. Yeah. yeah, I'm glad that you see that. And and I think I think that's really important to name that how important that part of the process is. I see it as powerful also. Yeah. 
the other thing, you know, just when the clients are here, I think there's a lot of curiosity. What are they doing every day, every week? And what are, you know, some some loved ones say, oh, you're on a retreat or, you know, yeah. and, and it's like, oh gosh, I don't know if they really know what's going on here and how tough it is. And, you know, I, I admire the client. I mean, this takes so much courage and strength and it can be extremely painful. And what they do here is, um, is, is pretty impressive. And right. so what, what can you name for loved ones to kind of have a bit, like a more realistic picture as you talk to ones that, you know, aren't, seeing it clearly how do you correct that and and what do you say so they have more of an understanding and a connection to the work they're doing here okay yeah no that's a that's a great one um spa day is a, is a common <laughs> uh when they hear that our, our our particular facility is on the edge of a golf course next to a mountain right and, or, or, and a lot of times the loved ones don't want to say the negative stuff or the harsh stuff they're, they're doing. And so they say mm. the fun things. And so I know that can be a misperception, you know, a misunderstanding right. too, or, or they don't perceive the hard work they're doing, but yeah, it, yeah say more no, because that's you're, a great point. you're right on to what I'm hoping to, yeah. to light, you know, illuminate here. Yeah. No, the, the misinformations that, yeah. What you said about clients being hesitant to, to share the, the grueling parts of this process. Yeah, it is grueling. Uh, they don't it recognize it's, it's mm -hmm. kind of sabotaging the perception. Yeah. <laughs> but you're, it happens way more than they realize. So I, I think the, 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 the average week, if I was talking about kind of the progression through an average day or week, um, we're, we're closer to a college curriculum experience than mm -hmm. we are to spa day. Oh, yeah. The, the, the reality is... Intense they, and a lot of... Yeah. Oh, just tons of stuff. So yeah, they're up at six thirty in the morning. Our mm -hmm. staff, uh, we've got twenty four seven staff, but they wake them up early and they are heading off to a meditation. Most people do not have any experience with meditation when they first get here, whether they think it's froofy hippie stuff or just never experienced it at all. <laughs> they show up, and they're like, "Wow, this is different." Yeah. So starting and off the day with that much quieting your mm -hmm. mind, and I'm sure you've had more to say about this particular piece. They. It's, it's a little jarring from a, a tough schedule that's go, 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 especially some of our A-type personalities. This is like, whoa, mm -hmm. we hit the brakes really hard. And there's kind of a, an emotional, cultural whiplash when you get right. into what we do here. Yeah, exactly. And I think, you know, they do have that woo-woo hippie, you know, sure. resistance and it's funny, but they, they see the um, benefits of it right away. And I think they, you know, they get it every single day, which, you know, other places are maybe once a week or right. less. And so that is something that is hit really hard here. And, and it's not easy to get up that early and it is a skill they're building, not just a relaxation technique. And so, right. um, it's, it's, they start out with that challenge, you know, right at 7am. When, when I've hung out with some of our, uh, I'll pick on SWAT commanders for a second. SWAT commanders probably had a lot more influence over his schedule from an average day to day. Mm. And uh, realizing that you can't just push the snooze button once you're in a residential treatment program <laughs> and just decide to not show up. It's, there's a significant loss of control that mm. is a little rattling yeah. for, for loved ones. And so That's when they true. get here and they're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I I want to do it my way. And we're like, yeah, you can do parts of it your way, mm -hmm. <laughs> but you've enrolled in this program and we're getting to work. Yeah. So, so yeah, the mindfulness activities uh, in the mornings, uh, we have breakfast around eight o'clock. Obviously we uh, have folks that have medical needs and medications they have to get on board. 
but um, it's kind of go, go, go from there. Mm-hmm. Uh, early in the day, uh, people that have, you know, been pretty proficient at saying, I'm fine, nothing to see here, don't ask me any more questions, are now having to answer questions from their peers about mm-hmm. how do you feel, mm-hmm. what are you grateful for, what are your goals for the day, mm-hmm. we're going to keep you accountable to those goals today. Yeah. And so they're having to disclose way more than they naturally ever do. Yeah, it's, it's a different kind of strength training that than they've ever been accustomed to. And it's actually counter to what they've, you know, like emotions are weak. Don't make it personal. Right. Don't right. take it home with you. And we're saying, no, like trust your emotions. Listen, <laughs> Tell process. all of us right now. Yeah. Unprepared. And that's so foreign yeah. to them. And sometimes it's really challenging to trust that, that that's the right thing to do. But uh, And so that's why it's so foreign to them. And yeah. Well, and they've got mentors in the process. That is another disadvantage that families also have is that they don't have a mentor that's been there with, mm. been through this experience that's to say, yeah. it is awkward, but keep on going. Mm-hmm. So when, when clients get here, they've got someone who's two or three weeks ahead of them in this process saying, I know it is a little weird, isn't it? It is a little awkward, yeah. but you know what? I It'll be that. fine. Hang that in they, there. Yeah. Keep on going. So there's some positive peer pressure that kind of nudges them mm-hmm. to keep on trusting a little bit more. Yeah. And, and so guess, they, they keep talking. Yeah. And what I would say to loved ones and family members at home, like if you know people that have been through this and, you know, more and more people are being open and, and feel safer talking about this, like reach out to them because they mm. might be that mentor to them and another right. family or love, you know, spouse, partner that's, that's saying, Hey, yeah, this is hard. And this is what I've seen. And, um, because I've seen wives do that or, mm-hmm. you know, spouses do that and it can be really powerful and healing and supportive. And yeah. so maybe, you know, it's sadly, it's not an organized thing, but maybe they can, you know, intuitively or be creative and find that. Yeah. If there wasn't so much stigma in the culture, it would, yeah. The, the crazy part is there's probably someone in your neighborhood who has at least some experience mm-hmm. with what you're going through. Or within on some the level. department. Yeah. yeah. And, right. and hopefully, yeah, that would be great to like have more organization or connection yeah. with that and not be more like well received. Growth for the future, hopefully. Yeah. So yeah. as we talk about the, the day, so yeah, post breakfast, clients are circling back up, chatting about their goals, concerns, uh, what they'd like to accomplish that day. And then about three hours in the morning and another two hours in the afternoon, they're with the group and they're, they're learning lots of things, uh, group therapy, group education. We're covering a wide range of topics. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're learning about shame. They're, they're doing some inner child work. Uh, they're learning about communication. They're learning about trauma and stress and coping mechanisms and communication. So there's a, there's a huge range of things they're asked to learn about and then practice together with other people who are in this process. And I, I I say this a lot when clients, um, most, most clients want to be really good students Mm -hmm. and they want to say like, Oh yeah, I totally get this. This makes lots of sense. And they take all these notes, (laughs) but the reality is we want them to learn, but apply some of these skills on us and with each other. Yeah. Because us, us talking philosophically about an idea to improve a relationship or to reduce stress at home, it's nice that we talk about it academically, um, intellectually as people. Mm-hmm. But the reality is you need to practice this a bunch of times before you go back home and trust this particular mm-hmm. skill or use it with your spouse or your kids mm-hmm. or your whatever. And that that is tough to do in 30 days. It's tough yeah. to do with a bunch of strangers. Mm-hmm. So 
And just to kind of draw back a little bit, mm-hmm. one thing to mention about that group process and to alleviate families, maybe concern or fears or curiosity about that, you know, our nervous systems are designed to connect with people and, and being in your window or regulated part of that, or it's actually named the communication and connection part of our nervous system. And mm-hmm. so um, the group therapy, you know, the activities that they do where they're, you know, building trust, whether it be ropes or um, I do partner yoga mm-hmm. and they, you know, they build trust with each other is really a part of their healing and will help them be able to connect in healthier ways once they get home. And I know that might seem a little threatening or strange or, you know what I mean? Or mm-hmm. like, who are these friends that they're friendships that they're building? But it is an important part of their healing and kind of trusting that, that right. they need that, that in, a, in a healthy way, you right. know, that's, that helps them. And we're, and we're very, very vigilant on that. We, we supervise a lot. We, we are very yeah. cautious around boundaries and communication mm-hmm. and making sure that it, it doesn't go awry. But I, I think, again, that, that practical experience is, is huge. Mm-hmm. And yeah. it's, it's a little daunting. I think that family members at times are a little intimidated when they hear that, holy cow, you've disclosed things you've never told me to these mm-hmm. strangers. Mm-hmm. And you guys have laughed and cried mm-hmm. and, and, and developed a lot more intimate knowledge about someone's inner workings. And families sometimes don't get to participate at that level until their loved one goes home. Yeah. And so, as and that's much where as- there's a differentiation between like clients that are here are meeting people that have been through very similar things. And that's, that's so healing and helpful. And there's so much growth and kind of a sense of relief and loved ones need to find that too, because it is, right. they are in different realms, you know, right. they're often, they're not in the same workplaces. And, and so loved ones can find, you know, that same kind of normalizing and, and feeling like they're not the only one with other loved ones, you know, and so right. um, it, it is different and that might feel a little strange or threatening or foreign, but um, it, it brings them a lot of growth and relief to know that they're, they're not the only one. And I think a good way to, to, to kind of bridge that gap is when for the first week we ask uh, clients to not have any contact with family. Their, yeah. their, their time to kind of acclimate to the program, learn to trust us, practice some of these new skills be focused for a little bit. We have such a, a finite amount of time with them. Uh, we, we, we can't juggle everything. So we try and get a little protective of their, their yeah, attention. And, and just to, I have not met a client that didn't almost panic from that. <laughs> yeah, you know what I mean? Right. Like just to make sure loved ones know, like that's really challenging, but it's so important that they do that so right. that they focus on themselves. It's just, they have to cut that tie at first. Maybe it seems abrupt or like really drastic, but, but having that at the, the beginning is really helps them kind of aim their focus mm-hmm. and their energy in the right direction. And so I, I think that's such an important part of the program and something that the loved ones might kind of be panicking over yep. as well, or maybe they're relieved. I don't know. But yeah, some, way. some say, great, don't want to hear from them in a while, for a while. Uh, that's a great point. But I, I think the, no, I love that you said that because um, when, when, Everyone's in survival mode and we start to introduce boundaries or, or suggest something like delaying gratification. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it, it definitely pushes buttons. Yeah. And, and so after that period, and again, it, you will talk with them. It will be okay. Um, it's it's going to be yeah. fine. When you have a chance to chat with them, I, I think there's moments where families are a little uncertain about how much to ask about the experience. And I'm a believer of ask away, ask mm-hmm. a lot. 
mm-hmm. and say, how do we practice this stuff? Mm-hmm. Given you're not going to have all the phone time that you'd like to have to cover all the different ideas, but the, the expectation of, I want to learn, tell me how this applies to us. How do you use this with me? Where do I learn more about it? What kind of books are you reading? I think there is some real crucial conversations that happen in that realm when families say, you know, you're my teacher too. Mm. Sure, the, the program's going to have a curriculum and we've got uh, a number of skills and, and ideas, videos that can offer some education. But I do think there's something very critical about saying to your loved one, I want to know more. Mm-hmm. How, how do we work out the kinks of this together? Yeah. What do I need to practice? Or what do we do next time we have a visit? Mm-hmm. So there, there are things like that. Um, oftentimes, um, they're not sure how to advocate for themselves and to speak up about that. Mm-hmm. But I would say, please, please set the expectation of, cool, bring, bring home an extra worksheet for me. How do I learn this? I'd like mm-hmm. to learn and read books along with you. Yeah, so we, we try and facilitate idea. as much as possible so that clients and loved ones have some common yeah. language. Um, Makes sense. But it doesn't happen quite as fast as we all would like. Yeah. Great. Thank you so much. That Yeah. And so as far as like activities, anything, yeah. you know, especially the ones that seem like we're a spa instead of... <laughs> yeah. Right. Um, and, the, what, and what's the, you know, what it, what are they and what, and what's the um, outcome or the, you know, what do you see the benefits of it? Sure. Great. I, I think the, um, I mean, we go to the gym three times a week. Mm-hmm. Most, most of our clients would vote for more. Mm-hmm. But again, we, we can't kick, you know, knock out of the park in every category. Right. So that is a piece that I think they enjoy. Uh, a lot of our clients go on walks. They might go on runs while they're here. We're not mm-hmm. a lockdown facility, so that ends up sounding pretty relaxing. Um, other activities that are a little bit off from that would be uh, we do a version of cold therapy mm-hmm. called Wim Hof. Um, we do an ice bath on Saturday mornings, and that is, again, a very different experience. Most people haven't experienced it. It's becoming a lot more popular. Mm-hmm. Uh, social media advertises it yeah. way more than it ever has. And so there's, there's a number of uh, benefits from cold therapy, and we've got a video on the family curriculum that talks about some of the science behind it. But it is uh, one of the interventions that we, we give to people because it is part of how we regulate our nervous systems we yeah. learn how to breathe. Build we learn resiliency. how to slow down. Yeah, and and control, and right. and it's and it's more than that physical control. It's mental and emotional, you right. know, and it translates into every area. And and I've seen and the clients end up loving it. They're terrified that first week, oh, yeah. and then they end up loving the ice bath and and the breathing and and stuff like that. Unless there's some kind of medical that interferes with right. that, but most you know most of them really benefit from that and i think that's kind of a shocker because most people think that doing trauma work or working on themselves includes a therapist and that that is Mm -hmm. uh something that we we try and help them understand that there's a lot of things in the mornings afternoon and evenings that are not with a therapist that are very relevant in developing some grounding tools and Mm -hmm. getting more centered more focused and it's not so much about talking about emotions as much as i'm safe i'm okay um, and even though my mind is going to send lots of messages and impulses right. of what I have to do to have more control or be more avoidant, we don't have to respond to each of those mm-hmm. impulses. And so ice bath and, and other activities 
are about us becoming more aware of ourselves and the choices we have of how we want to manage these signals exactly. that are coming from it's our mind minds. over matter, yeah. right? Becoming the master rather than the servant to our nervous system, yeah, our body, point. our mind. Yeah, cool. exactly. So there are some other activities that we do. Um, yeah, some of them are hiking. Some of them are uh, swimming. There's, there's some other activities that are a bit more recreational. Um, once a month, we do a sweat lodge. And a sweat lodge is a very different... Um, it's not exactly a skill. We're, we're basically learning from another culture that has developed their own set of techniques to manage stress right. or to create identity or to be grounded mm-hmm. and connected to something larger than ourselves. And so, um, you know, the, the sweat lodge, again, barring medical concerns and things like that, is a physically challenging experience that allows us to sit and to reflect and to yeah. kind of get out of this anxious mind that's constantly Mm -hmm. chattering about who we're supposed to be and what's supposed to happen by now. And if we're really looking for some relief, most of the time that comes to doing activities that help us get getting grounded Mm -hmm. right now in this moment in our bodies. Right. Exactly. Yeah. I've seen that be so powerful and, and things, you know, as I do trauma work called brain spotting, things get stirred up in the ice bath or the, you know, the ground, what we do, grandfather's breath or sound bath or sweat lodge that they end up working on in, in trauma work. And so it all kind of gets that ball rolling to healing and growth. And what I try to emphasize to clients is this is just the beginning of that journey, you know, and to continue once they go home. And a lot of them, I mean, how many pictures have we gotten of their own ice bath? or you know continuing the sweat lodges or even becoming a Wim Hof teacher sure. in their area right. which is so exciting and so yeah I think that um, you know hopefully they're starting that journey and just seeing a new way um, to bring that resiliency home such a great point no because I, I, I think there's this Hollywood version of, of treatment which right. is going to be these flashy moments with a therapist and it's Matt Damon crying and <laughs> <laughs> Hallelujah, we discovered some kind of thing. And the reality, most of these real pivotal moments that happen for people are are very quiet, they're very intimate, they're very Mm -hmm. personal. And there's this part of our brain that says, I can't. That is the experience of trauma. Mm -hmm. I can't. Right. And now we learn that, oh, I can't. Trauma is just stress with um, pa- feeling powerless, so right. I can't or helpless, or and so and without recovery, and, right. and so once they, re- you know, they can you can recover from trauma, but what we see is is that buildup of no recovery, and mm. hopefully they're learning how how to continue to build resiliency and recover from trauma on their own once they leave. So yeah, families families finding those resources, it's mm-hmm. getting better. You do have to be a bit more nosy, or you might have to create a little bit of your own experience through Mm -hmm. trial and error. Again, YouTube university, fascinatingly enough can offer way more things in in 10 minutes of searching and just finding, yeah, Yeah. finding your own journey self. Um, you know, yeah, definitely. The, the other piece I want to comment on real quick that I think is really different is that when we, we have clients in this process, um, we advocate from the very beginning that they're going to have to own their journey of getting mm-hmm. better, their own journey of getting healthy and more balanced right. and managing that no one else is coming to do this work for them. And I would say that's, that's the message that I hope families get as well is, um, it'd be great if your loved one was exactly as fixed as you wanted. Yeah. Please don't plan on it. Please, right. please expect that this is closer to a marathon than a sprint. 
Yeah, and that I like you, that. You also get to own this. They, mm -hmm. they don't get to dictate how you're going to be doing in the future. And so as we in, try and empower them to come together with a plan, you're going to learn about something that we use called the self-leadership plan, and they become better teachers of this is how I need to regulate my stress. This is how I'm dealing with my mental health or substance abuse issues. And this is my process for improving mm -hmm. me. Mm -hmm. I, I want to advocate as much as possible that family members, uh, at least for the, the Chateau clients, they're going to get some of these tools and they're going to have an opportunity to build their own plan and to be very honest about what they need. And that all family members need to become better teachers of this is me. This is how I work. Here's all the quirky mm -hmm. details about me. And this is how I'm going to be managing me. And as we grow up, in our own mental health, we can invite people to be participants, and to be observers, and to be involved in it, but it's me. Mm -hmm. Each person is growing their independence and then obviously finding ways to give and to support and to nurture those other yeah, things that they're learning. I love that. I love that. You know, that kind of growing, getting strong separately will help them come together and mm -hmm. be stronger together. Right. And, and figure out that journey, whatever that looks like from there. Right. Yeah. But yeah, that that being being the architect of that plan and teaching people about it, um, that doesn't mean the plan doesn't change. Mm -hmm. Like, there's lots of clients that are like, "This is how I think I'm going to be when I get home." And they get home, they're like, "Wow, I'm a little. I'm going to have to go slower than I yeah. thought. I'm right. going to have to get more feedback than I thought." Mm -hmm. And a lot of our our clients realize, "I've done more damage than I thought," and mm -hmm. so I don't get to dictate those terms. Mm -hmm. and, and the reality, when it comes to family growth, similar to other activities in life. We can only go as fast as the slowest person in the in the group, mm. and so if we can have some empathy and realize, yeah, they're they're in the same process. We're all a little goofy. These skills don't always make sense. I don't just intuitively get better at this just because yeah. I watched a podcast or whatever. The reality is that I'm going to have to keep on practicing and trying yeah. it out, and and probably suck at it for a little bit. But it's mine, and I get to develop it. And there yeah. really is some cool fun laughs and some real victories in that process while we kind of stumble through this new territory together. Yeah, I love that. And even like naming, you know, you might have a day or two or a week where you're kind of low functioning as you get home and that the family members don't panic over that. And, you know, as they slowly like at, you know, um, integrate whatever they've learned into their daily life. It's not going to pick up right. day one. It couldn't, you know right. what I mean? Um, because they are kind of coming home to that reality check of what damage did I do when right. I wasn't aware and how do I integrate these things that I know are helpful and build that resiliency and that there might be like a buildup to that healthier lifestyle and family members can kind of be patient and, and guide instead of, you know, panic. Right. <laughs> So there's, there's a, uh, the advice I often give the families is while you're in the support role, uh, I, I talk about being neutral and curious. Mm -hmm. What if you don't have to take any of their behaviors personally? Mm -hmm. What if they're on this journey and you're on your journey and as they make mistakes yeah. around you or towards you, mm -hmm. how do you, uh, well, I advocate for what we call a, a trauma informed perspective. Mm -hmm. And that means this person is doing the best they can trying to manage a stress I don't understand. Yeah. And I'm also doing like, the same Like, I know that experience. I don't know. Yeah. It's so, it's, right. it's so healing, you know? Right. And I think what that allows us to do is to get closer to compassion mm -hmm. as we watch them stumble mm -hmm. as opposed to think it's just an attack. Yeah. Or that it's just me being betrayed. 
or yeah. deprived. And I, I think when everyone's in this really sensitive spot, it's it's unfortunate and it's really common that we mm-hmm. jump to conclusions mm-hmm. and to get into this raw, irritated, I can't believe you're doing this to me again. Yeah. It makes sense why we go there. But the reality is it's probably not as much of a reality as it, it as you think it is. And I, what I think is so common too, and it's unconscious, is that loved ones are, you go to this fearful place of what if they've healed and grown so much they don't want me anymore or mm-hmm. I'm not I'm not part of their life or you know and it's and it's unconscious and so you almost like tend to sabotage them or mm-hmm. you know and um and so knowing like some of that fear is normal and just you know and especially loved ones or the clients that go home I try to encourage them like make sure to reassure them you know if you are working on the relationship that they you still want them to be part of your life and and to recognize some of those fears that can come up as the right. loved one transitions home. I, I get the advice a lot to our clients who are leaving of give your family members tasks that you guys can do together. Mm. Because there is going to be this anxious energy of I'm not sure where I stand yeah. in this process. And we get all a little self-conscious when we don't know what our role yeah. is. And so I think it's important to say, cool, can I join you? Can I learn a skill? Can we listen to an yeah. audio book? I'm not saying it's, uh, you know, we have to geek out in the therapy realm of things, but I think it is not too much of an ask to say, can we watch this TED talk together? Mm-hmm. Can, mm-hmm. We, can we learn about a concept together? Right. Can we teach the kids about how to communicate differently? Mm-hmm. And would you mind taking 10 minutes after dessert and, and yeah. show us a worksheet or a concept that right. you thought was kind of cool? That. So there's little moments that we can uh, kind of slide it into some different experiences. Methodical or yeah. plan ahead and just and trust that that you know it's it's a it's a process. Right. Trust the process. Well, yeah. and I, I think that there can be some shared mm-hmm. growth in that. Because I, I think that all of us are gonna learn little pieces. But what I think is interesting in the growth process is that we often don't complement mm-hmm. growth. I think one of the easiest skills to help a loved one get better is to say, that thing right there that you just did, that was cool. Mm-hmm. That really helped. That yeah, made I a difference. That. Thanks for saying Naming that. Naming the things that, that yeah. are helping or like, that Wow, feel that right. took some courage. Yeah. <laughs> you would never do that. Mm-hmm. I mean, check your tone. Mm-hmm. If you're saying that sarcastically, right. <laughs> then you should not be expecting that yeah. behavior to show mm-hmm. up again. <laughs> yeah. If it is an honest, like, wow, that was really cool. Like, I admire this. Mm-hmm. This, this, you would never do that. And I admire that element of it. Um, yeah, I, I think compliments and acknowledging those little yeah, pieces of gratitude, huge. man, they just, it, it's, it's probably one of the more authentic moments mm-hmm. that happens. There's, there's plenty of therapeutic jargon out there. Mm-hmm. Leave some of that stuff behind and thank you and, 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 and being honest about, Hey, that really meant a lot to me. Yeah. I think those end up being Sounds pretty great. powerful moments. So I like that at the beginning, you know, you said um, it makes sense that they have a lot of emotion or anger, frustration, to kind of trust the process. It might seem chaotic at first, get their own support and, um, you know, help that help clients transition home. Anything else you want to say out there and we'll wrap it up? No, just just again, it's a thankless process. So mm-hmm. thanks for hanging in there. Yeah, it is. Um, so it true. is a journey. And it's a, it's, a, it's a process that most people hope never happens to them. But people who do engage yeah. in it and, and get past some of the judgment of being in a position to need help, mm-hmm. once, once they get past that, which is not easy, once they get past that, they, they do see the world differently. 
Mm-hmm. As we learn about our own mindset, learn about our own awareness, learn about our own growth, and, and learn that it's way less about them growing as much as us, ourselves, all growing and working on ourselves, mm-hmm. you just have different options. Mm-hmm. You, you just get to enjoy very different things in our mm-hmm. relationships. And so just even though no one recognizes it, thanks for being on this journey. Thanks for supporting them. And future you is going to thank you for putting in the work. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you, Ben, for, for doing this, taking this time and hopefully we'll reach more people and alleviate some of like the, the common like misconceptions or questions that people have and, and that, that our clients and other clients that seek residential treatment can get the support that they need from home. So it's so important. And that's really a big passion of mine and one of the reasons we're talking today. So thanks again. Appreciate you doing this. Thanks for having me. Appreciate the work you do. Okay. Thanks, Ben. Thank you. Chateau Health and Wellness is a 16-bed treatment facility nestled in the foothills of the Wasatch Mountains in Midway, Utah. Chateau's first responder resiliency program is designed to treat the unique challenges and issues that first responders encounter in the course of their careers. Chateau's comprehensive and highly individualized approach to treatment addresses more than just the presenting issues. It addresses the why. Each of their seasoned, trauma-trained, and culturally competent therapists utilize evidence-based, specialized therapies to treat trauma at its core and enable clients to begin the healing process while developing a resilient and healthy relationship with stress. Chateau Health and Wellness is trusted by departments and agencies from around the country to treat responders and veterans. In fact... It is one of only a handful of facilities nationwide that is vetted and approved to treat members of the Fraternal Order of Police. For more information or to speak to a representative, go to ChateauRecovery.com or call 888-507-5031.